0: Today's podcast is a very special one. I am going to be talking to Dave the Snake Sabo from Skid Row about his new Kramer guitar. But before we get started, I want to do a shout out and say thank you to American Musical Supply and a special thanks to Greg, because without you guys, we couldn't have done this podcast. You're obviously a songwriter. You're a great guitar player. You've been Uh, a manager for bands like Down. You yeah. know, what I mean you you you've accomplished a lot and now it's kind of surreal to see this iconic guitar. Now you have your iconic guitars out there, and I don't even know if you know it's that iconic, but it is.
1: Well, thank you. I'm 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 humbled by that. And no, I don't know that it is. Um this whole thing has been just I'm so grateful for uh the people at, at Gibson and Kramer, uh one and the same, uh, for Just sort of resurrecting this beast. I mean, look at this thing. It's like, it's exactly the same one I had back in when it first was built. The first one that was built was in 1985. The embodiment of this guitar is rooted in the very, very, very beginning of the band. Like we, I started building this guitar when we were putting the band together, Rachel and I. Uh, So... Uh, it, when I got this and this is the prototype and the first time I played the prototype was at a show. Like I got it two days before a show and I, I went out and played it for the first time in front of an audience, not even setting it up. I just pulled it out of box, played it. And I was like, this thing's great. And then went in front of an audience. And so, uh, everyone in the band came up to me, well, Rachel Scotty came up to me and they're like. It brings back so many memories uh, of seeing you with that guitar and just the all the miles and all the smiles, if you will, that we that we've had together. Um, and so the fact that they thought highly enough of me, uh, the, the Kramer people, um, it just means the world to me. Uh, I have never had a signature guitar per se, Um And I never sought one out. And this sort of came into my hands through my association with a guy by the name of Todd Harapiak, who, uh, ironically enough, we met probably 13, 14 years ago at my office in L.A. when I was uh, at the McGee Entertainment Office when I was managing. He was one of my interns. And he was such a great guy and I used to verbally abuse him and he would give it right back to me. And we just had a a great rapport with one another. And he was a videographer and wanted to uh, get into that field more and more. And lo and behold, ended up landing a gig with, with Gibson uh, in artist relations doing uh, a lot of their video content. And so I saw online and I'm not online that often, but I saw online, dave rude uh from tesla was uh talking about his epiphone his white epiphone and in that uh he thanked todd and i'm like i wonder if that's the same todd it's gotta be and so i reached out to todd and i go is this you know i'm like you know butt face is this still you and he's like yeah (laughs) And he goes, When well, are we going to do the Snake signature guitar? And I'm like, Yeah, whatever. And because he always had, he always loved this guitar as well. So when he would come into the office, um, he would just love seeing that guitar and and t- always talked about it. And uh, it had always threatened me with making it a, a signature guitar. And so he. Uh, he responded uh, or I responded to him I go as soon as I get one of these and I sent the picture of a, of a Karina uh, Explorer reissue three days later I have an Explorer reissue on my front porch oh, and right. I'm like wow so this is for real uh, cut to we're in Nashville working on music working on our record and we, uh he sets up a meeting with uh, Cesar uh, at, at the Gibson factory and Jim DeCola, who makes the pickups, and, and Al John Goh, who oversees Epiphone and Kramer, and had pitched them the idea of doing this. And as soon as I walked in, I knew that I was uh, in a really, really comfortable, creative environment.
0: The first time I saw that guitar, it was the 1989 Moscow Peace Festival. Right. And you were playing, and then you did Peace of Me. And then when you did that song, that guitar came out. And I was in shock because that is the craziest looking guitar. And it and uh I videotaped the pay-per-view and I had a, you know, with old technology, freeze frame to see it and frame your guitar. Oh wow. Um And uh, and then uh, just because and then I'll be done with my nerdiness. I'm sorry. No, no, Uh, not at all. I love it. I love it. And then I had done so much research to figure out where you are on stage when I went to see you. I think it was like 1990. I was in Tucson, Arizona. You guys opened for Aerosmith. I had to be on the left side of the stage. So I would be on your side. <laughs> oh, that's so, it, great. so my understanding is the guitar started out as a parts guitar and then later it became a kramer could you explain how it how it came to be and how it ended up being a kramer
1: we met them in 85 and they were really thriving right huge massive really thriving and we got introduced to them through the guys in bon jovi um and we are just putting together the band I was working at a music store called uh, Garden State Music in Tom's River, New Jersey. And there was a, a, a gentleman who was the manager there who was also a guitar builder, great guy named Paul Unkert.
0: Now, if Paul Unkert sounds familiar to some of you guys, it's because not only has he been a master builder for many years, a repairman, but he also worked for companies like Oscar Schmidt, Guild, and of course, Kramer guitars for a short while, but he built 18 of Eddie Van Halen's Kramers. So he has a lot of notoriety.
1: And we became fast friends and they used to build guitars out of the back room and sell them via mail order. And so I was like, I've got to build a guitar and i had this idea with the you know the reverse headstock and uh a single pickup floyd rose volume and tone um and uh a real slick f- fingerboard and and s- like a kind of a, a satiny finish but not really more like almost the wood grain coming through and right. so I we found a artist named Dennis Klein down in Tom's River. And he was friends with Paul and, and friends with Rachel's brother. And he did air air spraying on uh, hot rods and, and things like that. So I gave him the idea. I didn't draw it, I just verbalized the idea. And this is what he came up with. And it's just it's it's as cool today as it as it was back in the day. To me. Absolutely. Uh, there, there there's you know a lot of memories attached to it. So that we built it with a Chandler body and a Warmouth neck. Cut to, we're beginning our relationship with with uh, Kramer. And I'm like, I've got this guitar. It kind of looks like a beretta. Um, but it just needs to be Kramerized. So they took it apart and put on the Kramer Reverse Headside Deck, put on a new Floyd Rose. At the time, we were using Seymour um, Duncan uh, JBs. Um, and uh, that was it. Uh, single tone, single volume. And it, it I played it everywhere. I played it on uh, the first two records. I played it on those subsequent tours. Uh, it went everywhere with me. And uh, as... We were winding down the second tour, which was 93. Um, Kramer was, it was going on the decline yeah. and it was painful because they had been so kind to us. Dennis Berardi who owned the company was, was just, he, they couldn't have been more gracious. I, I, I you know, we were a bunch, we were a bunch of poor kids who uh, we didn't have a record deal when they first took us on. And they were like, we'll take care of you with guitars, whatever you need. And we were like, you know, I'd never gotten anything for free in my life unless I stole it, you know. <laughs> and so so just the fact that they would do that really meant a lot to us. And, and they supported us throughout those tours with anything that we wanted. And so cut to 30 years later or whatever it is, um, I get you know the word from from Todd that Gibson had bought Kramer and let's do a reissue or or a signature model I should say. I'm like holy crap. And here we are.
0: And I think they killed it because your guitar sold out like in a minute. Well, what's amazing to me is I'll be honest
1: that this whole thing started with a guy who used to be my intern. Not that, that amazes me number <laughs> one, right? It was a random Person who came in and wanted to intern in a management company and we gave him the opportunity and and he made the most of it and 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 i gained a friendship out of it and cut to so many years later uh the idea still stuck with him for all those years uh and then was able to push it through and i mean cesar and and John and and uh jim couldn't have been more receptive to it like it uh, Cesar, I, th- I, I thank him up and down for doing this, and he's like, "This is a passion project for me." And he's, like, "I saw you in Argentina in '92," and you know, it's like, "This is this is something that I'm passionate about." I'm like, "Wow!" And it really, it's very grounding to know that you're part of something that touched somebody so far away. Like stuff that we've created has been able to permeate someone's emotional consciousness in Argentina. Like I, I I've been doing this for a long time. I've been I've been touring for uh you know 32, 33 years. And that aspect of it I it never gets lost on me ever. Um it's truly a special thing and I've never taken it for granted uh, and I I'm it's amazing what can come out of of these interactions just on a, from a stage to audience standpoint and it just blows my mind guy yes. sees me in Argentina at a show years later he's the CMO of, of Gibson uh, and Epiphone and Kramer and they're doing you know
0: my own guitar I'm like holy crap when I started playing guitar it was 88 that's when I picked up a guitar and started playing and um, 88s a, a crazy year as you know it's really like the quote-unquote the death of metal you know what I mean it's when when you went you you were playing your guitar and nobody was listening to metal <laughs> a- and and uh, what's funny was you know I I'm playing, I'm learning stuff. I'm learning Skid Row songs. And then you guys are just killing it. You know, slave to the grind becomes like the, the, the highest, you know, number one, I think first number one band al- out a rock band album of like all time. Right. Well, and did they first,
1: first hard rock metal band debut at number one?
0: Right. And, it, but that's, that's an impressive st- statement. What's more impressive is being honest is that at that time, that was almost undoable. When, when, when it was in the biggest part of his heyday which is the late 70s early 80s right mid 80s so the fact that you were still touching and i i have to take some credit here's why i get credit for that i had to buy both of your uh slave to the grind albums i had to get the uncensored version and the censored version with the so i had both tracks right so i I had uh the get the f out and then i had beggar's day i had to have both right (laughs) oh that's funny so which was really hard at the time, as you could probably imagine, to track that down. The the original. The first and I think the first the first press came out and it had the get the F out, right?
1: Yeah, and then we were told that we wouldn't be able to go in the in, in the Walmarts of the world. And so we were like, Are you kidding me? Like that's that's seventy percent of our sales, you know? <laughs>
0: it it was uh well and maybe it ended up better for you guys because like i said i had to have both versions as soon as you know what i mean it was just a, a but what was great was every time i use you your band is actually when anyone says metal's dead i said yeah they've been saying that since 88 and i and i think they were wrong then yeah i it's it'll it's You
1: cannot kill it. It, It'll never die. Uh, It'll it'll wane in popularity, if you will, and it'll reinvent itself. Um, But it's funny, you know, however many years later it's been, um, people still talk about those records to me as if they just listened to them. And, And I go, wow, that's like, again, all I ever wanted to do was to be able to express myself on guitar with a group of like-minded individuals. I found a great writing partner, Rachel Bolin. Uh, so we were able to do things that the other guy couldn't do. That's how we forged such a great partnership um, and friendship. Um, and so we wanted to write songs that, we loved first and foremost because writing is a a very selfish act has to be has to come from your own heart to satisfy your own needs and desires emotionally and then you hope it connects with however many people uh you never know you just hope that it connects that it gets through that it, it touches people emotionally uh, and then you've you've done your job well, and uh, and we've been blessed and fortunate enough to to have that throughout you know the thirty five year career that we've had.
0: You've always kind of had the sound, and you've been always been loyal. You know what I mean? Like you've been playing PB since like ninety five, right? I, in fact, you've been so consistent with your amps. I, I think I can remember your settings. I think you're like on your gain channel, you run like six. And then I, I think on your clean channel, you run like two. Because um, I remember the first time I got it. Well, I remember. You wouldn't remember. I remember the first time I got a 6505, I set your settings to see.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. And,
0: yeah. And, and it still sounded like me and not like you. But... <laughs> 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 is
1: <Isn't> that <laughs> always the case, though? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's always the case. I, I, you know, when we were touring with Van Halen, that's the reason why we started playing Peaveys. And Eddie had given us Scotty and I um, a uh, fifty-one fifty combo, and there he is playing through it. And then he hands me the guitar and goes, "There, you, you check it out." While he's dialing in a tone, it's like, <laughs> "What do you play in front of Eddie Van Halen? What do you play?" So, so what I, did started, you play? I started playing A C D C chords, man. I started doing, you know, highway to hell or something. <laughs> because I'm not gonna sit there and attempt to solo in front of him. You know, it's 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 intimidating enough when we had to go on stage before them and with the thought of them hearing what we were doing behind the stage. So uh but that's how we we got involved with Peavy was through uh Edward.
0: There's definitely players out there that just have a new guitar every minute. You know what I mean? They have a new signature model every minute. They have a new new endorsement every minute. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. That's exciting. Right. But it always says something when a player stays in certain gear for a long t- period of time like you have, stays consistent with what you use, how you use it. And then so when you did the signature guitar, it wasn't just cool because it's like, oh, the graphics back. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's that could, it must mean something to you because of the fact that you are kind of very you know you don't really jump ship and do different things all the time you know you mean you've been pretty consistent
1: yeah i think that to me this is like uh it allows me to realize how lucky i am to still be doing this um that after all this time that the, the people over there were kind enough to recognize uh this whole thing this whole skid row thing and um it's and it's uh, from the moment i picked it up and put it on i mean i didn't make any changes with the exception of i said put in uh you know the detuner right that was it because for me we play live uh, you know, we open up with "Slave to the Grind, which is Drop D, and then we'll go into like Big Guns or Piece of Me, and that's standard 440. So I I'm just pop that sucker right back up, and I'm good. Uh, I don't have to be switching out guitars or anything like that. And the pickup here that Jim DeCola did for me, um, it screams. So I don't have any, there's certainly no lack of output. <laughs> <laughs> That's for
0: sure. And so you guys have a reference. Jim DeCola is a master luthier at Gibson, but he also worked at PB and designed the PB Wolfgang and the pickup in that guitar for Eddie Van Halen. To me, it's just slightly cooler when you release a guitar and you say, okay, obviously that, you know, the D-tuna didn't exist when you first had that guitar. So updating your guitar makes sense. Finding a pickup, you know, that you like that works with your sound instead of saying, well, this is the first, you know, the JB I had in 1986 that I shoved in there. Right. I, I, like I said, it says something about you probably because you're a creator, a songwriter, you know what I mean? Maybe your way, your mind's, uh, you know, set up. It it was really cool that you didn't, didn't go, okay, here's the original one, copy it. And then I'll tell you when you got the copyright. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Right. Now that we talked about this and, and we had suggestions back and forth and I said, you know, like what might've worked in 1985 and 86 through whatever gear I was playing at that particular moment, it might not work for uh, a guitar player today. And so, and I just love the sound of Jim's pickups. I, I, I had no idea that I had inadvertently, uh, worked with him in the past with PV, um, and when when edward was there and and he was doing all edwards pickups oh, so really? yeah and and then he went to fender with edward and then you know went to gibson and so knowing that history it's like well of course i want one of your you know hot rotted pickups in there you know and uh i guess from the moment i picked it up i couldn't have been happier uh I didn't have to make any real tweaks to the guitar itself. Um it, it just it's really simple like me. And uh it it's roadworthy, it's strong, it's got some, you know, some density to it, uh, but it's weighted out really well. Um and I, I think that f- from a price point standpoint, it's also it's 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 a good value.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: And you know what? It's just, it's um, nostalgic to a certain, you know, to a, a good degree, but it's also something that, in, in the year, you know, 2021, I, I didn't think that we'd be doing a graphic guitar again, you know. There was a moment in time uh, in the 80s when graphics were huge and, and everybody had graphics on their guitars. Every cartoon characters and uh, horror movie icons and things like that. Um, and then it stopped. It got old, which I understood. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, people go through phases and stuff like that. But just the fact that they wanted to do that and this do this in this day and age is really, is really something.
0: I think it's because they actually get it. Uh, obviously, you know, we're all Eddie Van Halen fans. You know, uh, we all, you know, who doesn't want like a broken mirror Paul Stanley guitar? You know what oh, I mean? Oh, my God, yeah. Right. I mean, everybody, the, the, those are to me, and they're great, and they have to exist. You know what I mean? but to me you have to be a actual connoisseur of to some degree to know where the cool little cool guitars throughout the history were you know what i mean at the times when they were the 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 reality is uh, your band is still an amazing band Thank was you. an amazing band then and uh and so it's it's almost like the guitar is a recognition to you and to the band you know what i mean
1: that- that's how i felt i i felt it was uh it, like I said earlier, like it it's part of the uh, the beginning of the band. like I said this was first being put together when we were first putting together Skid Row so it's synonymous with that period of time and it, it brings me back to all those moments of like I said in in the garage with propane heaters and you're just you're doing everything in your power to put together, you know this band, and and to have it be successful, and to get rejected so many times, and and yet this thing is still there. You know, it's it's still with me, and it's it's going through all of that with all of us, um, and it brings us back to it brings me back to to that that particular period of time, and then going on to like you say, the Moscow Music Peace Festival. So you go from a garage in Tom's River, New Jersey to Lennon Stadium in, in Moscow in front of 75,000 people. And it's like, wow, like, holy crap. Th-
0: so I got to ask, where, where is the original now? Where does it live?
1: Oh, it's, it's actually down in Nashville. I had it down there to, bring, to give to the, uh, to the folks at Gibson so they could spec it out.
0: Oh, cool. (laughs) So it's still in
1: Nashville. I haven't brought it home yet.
0: You get nervous. Like, did he get rid of it? Did he say at some point, like, this guitar isn't, you know, is it relevant? Because when you guys did like Subhuman Race, you obviously went for a darker sound, a darker thing. Right. I love that album, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and of course, you know, that was a thing. We, we all know we were all there at the same time. So we all know everybody was getting a little heavier, a little darker. Uh, and, and so you, I, that's why I'm glad to see you still have it. You know, it didn't get like spray painted black. no it means too
1: much to me it like i said it it holds a special place in in the history of of my career as a guitar player and and in the history of the band so i i I could never part with that it's awesome
0: so obviously what are you guys doing right now? COVID what's going on? Are you writing music, making writing music
1: via zoom is, you know, uh, here and there, uh, sometimes it's productive. Sometimes it's not, it's, you make the most with what you can, I guess, you know, Rachel and I work best when we're in a room together, when it's just the two of us and we're just bouncing stuff back and forth. And so doing it, uh, via video, is a challenge uh you know it's one of those things too like we've never been able to write on the road it's always had to be in in off the road and and in someone's house or uh, you know something like that Uh, a very controlled environment where no one's going to bother us and and we just are left to uh, work with each other face to face and uh, that's just the way we've always done it. That's how the band was started. So it's been a challenge that way. Uh, um, I think that these things, the, like this extended layoffs, um, it messes with your motivation. Um, I'll go for a period of time where I'm on fire, and then I'll all of a sudden, I won't be. Um, and the creativity just grounds to a screeching halt and it's very frustrating. You know, you know, and at the same time, you're just trying to make sure that your family's safe and healthy and uh, that you're not putting anybody at risk. But yet, you know, it's been almost a year since we played our last show. I've never had that long of a period of time between shows ever. Um, so, you know, we're all going through this together. Uh, I like to think that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we have shows on the books starting July and we'll see if that happens and uh, hope so you know uh, yeah and uh, if it does great as long as people are safe uh, as long as our crew is safe and uh, then I'm all for it um, you know I just uh, want people to wear masks
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's been it's it, I, yes it's been a tough. Thing that's why I figure I had to ask. I think people watching, you know, we're all musicians. There's a there's there's a, a great saying uh, that said that um, musicians by nature love to kind of be alone in practice, to some degree. So yeah. so at first this wasn't really torture for a lot of musicians, right? But like you said, the hiatus has been so long now. You know, every musician likes to be alone in practice so that they can eventually not and get out in front of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, like
1: the whole thing for me is is this this is my creative outlet. Uh, always has been since the moment I picked it up when I was like 14 and a half years old. And this has been the way I express myself. Um, I haven't always been able to verbally express myself the way I would like. This has been the tool that I use um, to get out what's going on inside me. And... It's not like there's a lack of inspiration going on. It's just that uh, when you're in this confined space and, you know, there's this divisive nature going on and you just you just hope in your heart that we can find unity through, through all this, um, that's the wonderment and the beauty of playing concerts for us is that it's a communal event. Uh, there is no divisiveness. There is no red or blue or, or left or right. We're brothers and sisters celebrating life and celebrating music. Uh, music is a great unifier, man. And so yeah. that's, what I, that's the thing about it, that connection with the audience and, and having that uh, those two hours uh, to ourselves without the outside world banging on the door that's uh i think that's what i i miss the most and like i said i i I think that there's light uh at the end of the tunnel and and hopefully we'll get through this it's obviously a lot slower than we had hoped but uh it's getting better yeah and and we're in the middle of making a record we're about halfway done with it so we're gonna have to finish that up as soon as we can get our singer over here from england um which presents its own issues but um you know we'll we'll make it through. We all will.
0: So so obviously just cuz I'm curious. So obviously uh you're recording a certain way cuz there's different ways to record. You know uh, the bands like Dream Theater and uh and Slipknot have made entire albums not even like being in the same room's ever. So yeah, you can't you can't do it. So that's why
1: I yeah. can't do it. I it's it's too I mean I guess we could if if there was no other alternative. But for me, I need to be in a room, man. I need to be sweating it out. I need to be, you know, hearing that kick drum and that snare um, loud. Like, it just, there's an energy that exists that I need to be a part of. I think we all do. I think that's how we thrive in right. that environment. And so, like I said, if it, if, if it came down to that was the only option, then, yeah, we'd figure it out, of course. But uh i don't we're not there yet
0: i want to thank you so much for your time you've been very gracious with it my pleasure man it's great it was great to talk to you
1: for real and and uh thanks for checking this thing out and promoting it and all that stuff and it's greatly appreciated
0: oh no trust me i'm i'm excited i i let everybody know of course if they want to get one they can get one from american musical supply because like i said it was greg at ams who like I said hooked me up to Gibson to hook me up to you? It's very nice, but of course, uh, and you got to put in, you got to pre-order those suckers because they're they're sold out. You guys nailed it.
1: Yeah, all all props go to to the Kramer guys and and Epiphone and Gibson, or the the whole company all the way around. Um, you know, they didn't skimp on anything. They did uh, everything that I had requested. They did, and uh, they had me completely involved. It wasn't like yeah, just sign off on it. You know, it, it was I was involved from the very beginning, so it's uh, this is important for me, and just the fact that I sold one is amazing. You know, and <laughs> I'm I'm really really uh, uh, taken aback by the by the whole thing. To be honest with
0: you, you know, I gotta tell you, and just to embarrass myself, ha! I am a huge Skid Row fan. Okay? Thank you, and um, my first. And I know you get this a lot, but I got to tell you why it's embarrassing to me not being a fan, but growing up in guitar magazines and reading your name, it wasn't until years later that I knew it was Sabo. We said, my, my friends and me in Tucson, Arizona said Sabu. We didn't know how to say the name. You know what I mean? And then you heard it for the first time right because you always just read it. Right. And, and then when we heard it the, the first time I remember, I go, I've been saying his name wrong for like 10 years. Well, it's funny. The thing is, is that with my last name, when
1: um, my ancestors came over from Hungary, uh, it was spelled with a Z. So it was Jabo. That's how it's pronounced over there. Uh, When they came over to, I guess it was Ellis Island, um, to make life easier on them, not my my ancestors, but on, on the people that were processing us. Uh, my ancestors, they dropped the Z and just assumed it was Sabo. So it stuck. And it's weird, right? I mean, it's when I went to Poland, it's pronounced Jabo.
0: They did that, unfortunately, a lot to a lot of people. You know, uh, made them just change their names on the spot if they couldn't pronounce them. Crazy, right? It is. It's almost unthinkable. You know what I mean? Just. Yeah. And I got to tell you this thing. I'm going to get in trouble if I don't. So I had a viewer, obviously I, I, I let some of the viewers know I was going to be doing an interview with you I had a viewer, uh, tell me that I had to tell you this. So he wanted me to tell you that he worked in a record store when the first Skid row album came out. So he got to see it before he got debuted. And he said that he plagiarized, uh, I remember you as a poem to his girlfriend. He took and Aww. wrote down the lyrics as, a, as a poem to his girlfriend. And, uh, He said, the good news is that by the time she had that single had hit the market, (laughs) they had already been dating long enough that she forgave him. They've been married now 30 years. So he wanted to tell, he he was begging me to tell you that he's been married now 30 years off of plagiarizing those lyrics to his, he wanted me to also apologize for copying the lyrics. Oh, no
1: way, man. That's (laughs) awesome. What a great story. Tell him I'm honored. That's really something. 30 years, man. 30
0: years. That's God why.
1: bless. Glad we could help.
0: So, see, and that's the stuff you were talking about earlier, right? You hear those kind of stories and you think that's some – somebody's been happily married for three decades off of a song.
1: Well, I don't know if it's the song that kept them together, but at least <laughs> we got them together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you uh, very much for joining us. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. And until the next time, uh, know your gear.